everybody, this is the Chess Club Life podcast, um, and this is Michael. I would like to address the um, recent chess drama that's uh, impacting the chess world um, regarding um, implied cheating allegations to do with um, a chess player called Hans Niemann. These implied allegations uh, appear to be coming from the world chess champion Magnus Carlsen, who um, in recent games, um, in actually two tournaments, has um, made a point of um, withdrawing from the Singapore Cup after playing Hans Niemann. started here, there have been allegations uh, made uh, both with evidence and allegations made based on conjecture and speculation. Um, I think what's clear here is um, there may be some subjective evidence that might be produced, but at present... Magnus Carlsen has not produced any evidence to support his implied uh, allegations or implicit actions which have uh, put Hans Niemann in basically a collision course with all the internet trolls who um, would want to support Magnus. So what I want to explore is the idea of cheating in chess what is it why is it that these allegations can be made and there's so much weight to them and the presumption of innocence doesn't seem to apply in chess whereas in other sports you pretty much have to be caught red-handed with um, performance enhancement drugs or some outside help or some form of evidence before allegations can stick. Okay, I want to take you back to um, the whole aspect of how chess uh, performance is measured. Chess performance is measured by a statistical model called the normal distribution. That means that what we're always saying is that chess players, a group of people who play chess, will always perform to a bell curve distribution. There'll be a few of them who are really bad, a whole load of them who are average, and a few of them who are really good. We call them the outliers on either end of the bell curve. And... What we're saying when we are 
assessing somebody's chess skill is we're saying you must lie somewhere on this normal distribution or bell curve. We're saying that. As a matter of fact, we don't know where they lie on that curve, but we do know that they lie on that curve somewhere. So what we do is we perform a series of trials, which chess players insist on calling games, and the outcome of which we use to put them on that distribution or the curve. What then happens when a chess player is beginning to learn chess and starting out in the game and playing tournaments and winning and losing is they've got a whole array of results coming in and the organisation that manages chess called FIDE takes in all of these results and then publishes essentially a score um, which we call an ELO which places you somewhere on that curve. That's how you know that on paper you're better or worse than someone else or equal chance of winning a game. What they don't tell you is that actually it's just an estimate. Actually, it's even worse than an estimate. It's an estimated model. So we're not making... Um, some assumption about you based on dynamic variables. We are placing you on a model modelled by something we call a normal distribution. You have to fit that model and there's just no uh, going back in terms of where you stand on on that bell curve, you must stand somewhere. And if there's insufficient information, then the algorithm that calculates where you stand in the bell curve just makes a call based on the insufficient information. But that's factored in. So just to summarise, everybody in the chess world who bothers to get registered and how therefore has their results sent to FIDE, will have themselves placed on um, a modelled um, distribution called the normal distribution, and they will be expected to perform to that uh, profile. So every chess player of a certain strength or elo would be expected to win or lose a certain amount of games uh, against an opposition of a a certain strength. So that's how we get into a situation where you have a player playing someone else and a result happens at the end of the game or at the end of the statistical trial. And one player starts accusing another player of cheating. It's because the performance rating that we give each player before they even play, assuming this player's played more than you know a game at least.
least one game before um, they meet the new opponent. They have an expectation of the degree um, of success they're going to have in that game. They're practically told whether they're going to win the game or not based on this statistical model. And this is where things get tricky. Because we all know in the chess world that we have players who overachieve. Young players who do really well and are advancing and improving what looks like week on week. And these players are playing in tournaments and racking up results. And these results are going into FIDE and getting assessed. And we are aware that it's quite dynamic. It's more dynamic than how the normal distribution is set up to be. The normal distribution assumes a static performance profile. It does not stop you from moving through those static performance profiles, but it does not suggest how quickly you do move through them. In fact, it implies you don't move through them very quickly, which is why we are able to use that model distribution to assess someone's strength in chess. It used to be a lot worse in, uh, effectively, the olden days uh, when uh, chess was was um, assessed. Uh, basically, uh, months would go by before um, you would get the rating points um, put through and your rating would actually get impacted. Now, FIDE do it on a monthly basis, still not as reactive. And we do have a live chess rating website that tracks uh, the top 100 players or indeed players over the rating of 2,700, which is helpful. And it's obviously a step forward. However, it still doesn't address this area of expectation. Expectation in chess, expectation of a certain performance is the root of all of these cheating scandals. Those that aren't clear cut, I suggest. Those that involve allegations made with no evidence. Allegations made with evidence, chess players caught with machines, chess players caught colluding with people, or both of those things at the same time, are clear-cut, and those cases are well-documented. When talking about the cases where a chess player performs over and above what's expected, or it's presumed that they're moves are matching top engines. So let's address those two points. When a chess player starts playing in a tournament and their rating is far lower than their performance rating, and by that I mean their published FIDE rating before the tournament, before the games start, 
being played is of, of a lower number or elo than when they begin playing the games and their performance is assessed based on the elo of their opponents. It might be so out of kilter that it raises a lot of eyebrows. However, what are we actually saying here? Chess is a game in which you play an opponent. That opponent may be prepared, might not be prepared, might be in bad form. The fact that they have a high elo or a higher elo than you doesn't prevent that person from actually losing any given game. Um, People can have gaps in their knowledge. The conditions might not favour a certain player, even if they're higher rated. There's so many reasons why they might just lose the game. Uh, We see this phenomenon um, online when you have a really high rated player. You start to play them online. You find them playing appalling moves. They might be playing late at night. They might be playing exhausted or whatever. um, And they lose almost like a beginner. Um, so this is like a phenomenon online, it's observable um, and it happens towards all of us when we play online, you see this. So there's actually no obstruction, there's no restriction to the amount of failure or success any chess player can have in any given game. So given that, there's clearly a finite probability that a chess player can actually excel, in fact, exceed incredibly any expectation given. And and addressing the issue with the matching of uh, their moves to engines, well, we all know that in certain types of chess positions, the forcing moves are pretty obvious. Um... So it, it's kind of um, a moot point that, let's say, a tactical player um, might have a, a lot of matching to a, an engine, might be the top um, uh, choice of an engine or the top two, um, definitely the top five. If you're having um, someone who's tactical and always pushing positions into forcing sequences and that brings us back to Hans Niemann Hans Niemann has a particular style that seems to um, let's say uh, get us into forcing sequences he likes to resolve positions he likes a lot of tactical manoeuvres this is something you can recognise in his games if you follow them and it's not a surprise that he has, uh, just off the bat, a very high matching of engine moves in any given position because he basically gives himself fewer options. He's not a strategic player of the ilk of Magnus Carlsen, who tends to play kind of really positional, um, highly oblique moves which don't have a natural continuation in fact he's made a career out of not having natural continuations to 
most of the positions he gets himself into um, and essentially tires out his opponents and forces them into errors and then takes advantage of them. That's essentially how Magnus Carlsen wins games. Um, he can play tactically, just chooses not to. So a lot of players out there, Mike Hans Neiman being one of them, um, who have a very forcing, um, intuitive, tactical style. So that doesn't play in their favour on the court of public opinion when you're using an engine matching uh, algorithm or statistical analysis. You're always going to find a high matching. However, what's more interesting is things like centipawn loss. What centipawn loss is, is the number of... um, so-called um, losses of evaluation points, um, centipawn being a hundred uh, units um, measure um, compa- as compared to what the computer has said is the best evaluation of that position. So essentially a way of tracking your um, accuracy as you play uh, that tends to be more subjective um, and to uh, specific positions, which is a good thing, um, and less and actually more objective in, in terms of a player. So you want it to be subjective to a position, but objective to the player, not the other way around. Um, so... What we have here are um, a series of conjectures and speculations about a player and then when it gets online and you have um, fantastic um, ideas and uh, methods of cheating being mooted um, almost as a joke and a meme and then they take over and they hit the headlines as they have done in the case of Hans Niemann, you, what you're not getting is a measured viewpoint on whether a chess player has cheated or not. Professor Kenneth Regan, um, or Ken Regan, is the world's um, highest authority on cheating in chess, and his conclusion on the Hans Niemann scandal is that um, from the last two years he's found no evidence that his results are let's say outside the normal distribution so back to the normal distribution again he's saying that a player of his standard could quite easily have performed and got those results that he got in his last two years yes he did move from uh, a 2,400 ELA rating to what we have now where he's um, gone over 2,700 and, and just recently dipped I think he's 2,699 at the moment ELO um, but Professor Ken Regan is saying that that is definitely well within the um, 
likelihood um, of a player of his standard. So if we factor in the fact, fact that he's um, a prodigy, he's very talented, he's very focused, um, very determined to succeed, then we really are looking at something that any other player could have done. Um, Magnus Carlsen did have his moments uh, where he moved from um, 2,500, I think within a year, to 2,650 plus. Uh, within a year, easily 150 rating points or more. Um, and, and he did that. Um, Hans Neiman has topped that maybe with um, essentially about 200 uh, plus um, but it's a different time um, there's rating inflation and so forth there's always sort of reasons to why it, it might not um, be correlating um, and we, we get more inflated results which look more impressive but actually not they're just similar and correlating to what the expectations if you believe in the statistical analysis of someone like Professor Regan who is a world authority on this I've seen some conjecture let's put it that way online where people are doubting um, he, he, Ken Regan's uh, analysis suggesting it's uh, makes no sense. Um, I think I just say that that type of uh, analysis, where you are just poking holes in in someone's um, academic uh, viewpoint, based off of quite solid statistical truths, um, is is shaky at best. Um, just looking at certain aspects of uh, Hans Niemann's um, results, pointing at certain games, was ignoring all the others where he lost and he didn't match engine moves and um, so forth, is really quite a biased way of uh, analysing something. Um, I don't even want to address those because they're, they're just misleading and um, wrong. So we've got a situation in the chess world where someone quite high profile, Hans Niemann, uh, is being um, alleged to have cheated and denies all of that. And really, it's hard to prove a negative. It's hard for Hans Niemann to come out and say he's not cheating. Um, it then falls on the shoulders of those who claim that he's cheating to come forward with evidence and that would either exonerate him or confirm that those allegations are indeed correct. Um, I think we have a, 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 a very much um, a responsibility to be very careful with the allegations we make because they are quite serious and it affects someone's career and reputation. Hans Niemann himself has come out and said earlier in his career, when he was quite uh, much younger, that he um, dabbled in um, 
mind cheating using an engine which helped him to inflate his rating. He said it happened on um, at least two occasions. Um, and there is some talk that chess.com may believe that that is more um, than two. Um, but Hans Neiman has only talked about these two occasions and said that he hasn't ever done over-the-ball cheating. And there have been some wild speculations on what he would have needed to do in order to cheat over the board. Um, it's clear that Hans Lehmann is a very talented person. Um, I have personal um, recollection of the time when uh, he was playing um, a chess puzzle game, which I invented called which everyone seems to call Puzzle Rush. Um, and he was the world number two, or world number three at one point. I think he, during one period, um, he was actually world number one. And this is a puzzle game in which you, you need to recognize a whole lot of pans, um, chess patterns on the board. Um, and it allows you to be able to score um, quite a lot of points in a fixed time frame so essentially you're you're just solving um, a random sequence of puzzles um, in the shortest time possible and those who have um, a wide range of pattern recognition um, perform the best it's not really about calculation speed um, even though that could play into it but it's really about pattern recognition and Hans Neiman, um, at least what he told me when we were discussing this, is he said that he spends large amounts of his time learning these patterns, learning the puzzles in the database, practicing, going over and over and over them, so that he literally recognises them as soon as they pop up on the, the uh, screen. And um, the scores he was getting did back that up. So he, he does have... Um, a lot of training that came from that phase of his uh, chess development um, more so than the average prodigy um, so I would say from a personal perspective having worked with him um, uh, in that time that he showed an exceeding amount of um, focus and talent when it came to learning uh, chess patterns and being able to um, recall them on demand. Um, I think he scored possibly the highest um, score you could you, you could imagine in one minute with um, an RNG, so random number generator a sequence of puzzles that I've ever known anybody to score, grandmaster or not. Um, so that says something about what we're dealing with here, the amount of talent he's got, raw talent um, he had when he was uh, growing up. Uh, so, um, again, that's um, not to say that um, it would always translate into um, chest strength, but it's 
likely that it would, given that a chess game is a series of pan recognition, um, maybe calculation, um, intuitive decision making, but a large part of it is pattern recognition. So this is my take on what's going on. I think Hans Niemann is sponsored by Play Magnus Group. Hans Niemann is a brand ambassador for Play Magnus Group, which is owned by Magnus Carlsen. Magnus Carlsen did take Hans Niemann a little bit under his wing um, as someone who was sponsored by his company. Um, Hans Niemann, however, wasn't trained by Magnus Carlsen. He was trained by uh, a few other trainers, um, Max Delugy, um, Jacob Agard, just to name two. Um, and he's got pedigree in terms of, you know, his uh, chess training. So it's it's not, uh, uh, you know, uh, to be is to be expected that he would perform well at some point. There are a lot of chess players with talent and uh, pedigree who haven't performed at the highest levels, um, but you expect some of them to perform. The question here is who decides what is legitimate? Is it the world chess champion? after losing a game, who decides that a chess player is not legitimate and therefore should not be believed and should be hounded um, and um, disbelieved and accused implicitly or otherwise of cheating. I don't believe this is the case. I believe that evidence should be provided before someone is accused of cheating you need to prove what you're alleging before you allege it or imply it with tweets and so forth, which is what Magnus Carlsen did. He tweeted and people believed that something was not right with Hans Niemann and that's not fair. We're all waiting for Magnus Carlsen to come back with some of the proof or all of the proof that he has at his disposal and if he doesn't have any proof we are waiting for an apology full and frank and honest and transparent apology from the world chess champion I want to thank you all for listening to my podcast and um, I wish you all the best and um Stay tuned to the next Chess Club Live podcast. Bye for now.